So hello and welcome to the latest episode of the new PNL Principles and Leadership in Business, the podcast series. I'm Paul, the host of the new PNL, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to listen today. I just wanted to say before we start the podcast that clearly we're experiencing very unprecedented times in the world today. It's a very scary and anxious time for many. So I want to express to everyone my sincerest wishes, and I hope you are all keeping safe and well. And I want to thank all those working on the front lines across the world to save us, both from this pandemic and those looking after us in so many ways through this period. Thank you to everyone. So we believe business needs a new P&L, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision, focus, strength, and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. This week, I'm speaking to Chris Vag, co-founder of Pass It On Clothing & Co., a Sydney, Australia-based social enterprise which puts clothing, shoes, and accessory donations directly in the hands of those who need it most, the homeless community. Founded in September 2016, the Pass It On Clothing team has been instrumental in providing quality men's and women's clothing donations to Sydney and Gosford's homeless community. Pass It On Clothing takes clothing donations directly to those in need via mobile workstations, which the homeless community visit and select new clothing. In the first three years of operation, Pass It On Clothing has provided over 85,000 pieces of clothing to over 12,000 people experiencing homelessness. The benefits are truly positive, not only physically, but also impacting the self-esteem, self-worth, dignity, and hope of the recipients. So Chris, a hugely warm welcome to the new PL Principles and Leadership and Business podcast series. And thanks for taking the time to join us from Sydney. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. Um, you do an amazing thing for a very vulnerable group of people in Sydney. Perhaps we could start the podcast with you giving listeners an overview of what Pass It On Clothing does and I guess how you came to establish the organisation. When was the light bulb moment? Okay, so we're a social enterprise uh, based obviously in Sydney. Uh, we provide clothing to the homeless. Um, we run 13 services a month. Um, 800 to 1,000 pieces a week will pass on. We've just ticked over 91,000 pieces of clothing. Um, and basically, we set up outdoor clothing boutiques um, at, each, at each service we do. So basically, we'll set up a men's or women's uh, rack. So people have the dignity of choice to be able to choose a piece they like, um, which in this space is obviously not something you get a lot of choice. Um, the light bulb sort of moment started with I was watching a guy actually from the UK called Joshua Coombs, um, just on social media on Instagram, who mm -hmm. is a guy who cuts people's hair uh, on the streets of London. Um, and then basically what happened with me, unfortunately, I, my partner Olga came home one day, uh, unbeknownst to me, and did a wardrobe cull on more of my clothing. And so <laughs> I, got, I got home and everything was gone. But I'm yes. talking gone. So I was just like, oh, okay. Um, and I stuck everything up in the loft uh, as a practical guy. I put a couple of things into the old model, into a clothing bin that you would find down at the church or down in the street. Yep. Uh, and the rest I stuck upstairs because I felt, well, if it doesn't work out this relationship, I'm not starting again. So <laughs> I stuck it upstairs. Um, 15 months later, it, it was working out the relationship. Her sister was coming over and both of them are Spanish, so to what to have try and you know um, watch football or do anything quietly while two Spanish are nattering in the background is very difficult. So I realised I needed my loft back, 
and yeah. um, spent some time away from those two. And then I saw some vision of Orange Sky, who are a mobile laundry provider right. in Sydney, homeless. And with what I'd seen with Josh Coombs, uh, with my clothing upstairs, 180 odd pieces, 200 pieces in a pile, and then seeing Orange Sky, the sort of light bulb came off in my head that I went, you know what? That is when people who are on the street need clothes, right then when, when they're doing their washing, that would be top mm. of mind. Yeah. So let's approach these guys um, randomly. I had no idea they were Young Australians of the Year. Um, and I just approached them through Facebook uh, and I persisted and said, I've got an idea for you. Um, and they gave me a go um, and here we are today. Um, you know, and that's, that's, that's how it all started. Very organic, um, which I think is um, something that resonates with a lot of people with us. It was just uh, a wardrobe cull, which everyone does. Yep. And, we've, and we've turned it into an enterprise with positive impact for very, very vulnerable people. Yeah, yeah. When I, when I did the background research for this podcast, there was a statement you made in one of your videos and, and you've actually just uh, mentioned it again then. And it really resonated with me. You said, what we're doing is giving homeless people dignity of choice. And I, I've, I found that a really powerful and true statement. You know, the ability to, to choose, however big or small that choice may be, is incredibly important in all aspects of everyone's lives for our, for our dignity, for the perception that we're in control of our lives and that life is not in control of us and, and so on, a hope of a positive future. So, you know, when you lose choice, you don't just lose dignity, you start to lose power and hope too. So I'd love you to just give a bit of an explanation as to how something as simple as giving someone from the homeless community the choice of which jacket or dress they want, for example, starts the process of rebuilding their dignity and their hope as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, what we, as I said, you know, we, in this space, we've come at it with a really blank canvas. So the first thing we did was establish that, you know, there's, there's an old model where people just dump clothes in, uh, in you know, sort of garbage bags in front of the homeless. Um, and, you know, they sort through it themselves. And we're like, well, that's not really that empowering, is it? So as I said, we've everything starts with us from that coat hanger with a piece of clothing hanger and the opportunity um, to just take it off, look at it, and open a conversation with us as well. Olga being a stylist, it really led naturally into that. So she could say to someone, oh, that look will look good on you, that style, that colour, whatever. And you've opened up something where these people are so marginalised that you've actually opened a connection with them. And they think, you, you know, obviously they know you care. Mm. Um, and so the choice in that space is simple. When you, if you have a look at any other homeless service, you get what you're given. So you go up for food, you're not ordering a schnitzel or a steak, a steak. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like whatever's on that plate you get. And so our point of difference was always, you know, it's almost like you're already in trauma because that's why you're in the homeless space. People are, um, you know, walking past you as if you're not there. And all of a sudden you get given whatever. This was the opportunity for them to have a little bit of life back. And actually, to feel like they have some power over what their life is, um, yeah. as simple as that sounds. Yeah. And from that, it opens up conversation. And from conversation, opens up a connection. And from that connection, we found that we've been able to get into people's lives. And you know, they build up a lot of onion. You know, the traditional onion with all the layers of skin. Yeah. You've got to be able yeah. to break them down to actually get to into the person and understand what the problem is and how you can help and support them come out of that. Um, so that that that's what it does. It, it allows us to open a window into someone, mm. into their soul. Um, and, you know, and that's been one of the key attributes of what we do. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a social enterprise and you offer a, an extensive range of ways for individuals and businesses to, to get involved and support Pass It On Clothing through your 100 Club and other initiatives. Can you talk me through how all this works and how businesses and individuals can, can support you and get involved? 
Uh, yeah, so the, the first one is obviously everyone has so much clothing. Um, initially, what we did, you know, when we started, I was working at the NRL, Olga was working, so, it, and, you know, we had stock issues, so it would be going through friends and friends of friends, and, you know, it just snowballed. But in mm -hmm. the end, if you want to make it sustainable, you have to actually draw revenue from somewhere and do yeah. it. So for us, it was, okay, how do we engage the business community um, while also doing it 365 days a year? You know, a lot of uh, other organisations have certain weeks or certain days or certain this and that. And our, and our sort of thought was, well, homelessness is every day, right? So we also yeah. want to give the opportunity for people to donate every day. So we developed that clothing bin, which we which is a subscription clothing bin, either annual, daily, or weekly, mm -hmm. which sits which sits in your business, and you know you're able to bring in a couple of pieces. You get a user guide, and that's the first part of the process for someone feeling part of the Parson on family and engaging with us. They they like to watch where their shirt goes. Now they can't see a hundred percent where it goes, but we document everything online through our social channels, so they can see the transparency. And I think that's one of the key attributes in building a community, if that's what you like, if you like, is that people go, well, I know I've got a lot of opportunity and a lot of option with this shirt, but these guys are going to pass it on to someone who needs it. So I'm going to give it to them. Mm -hmm. And that then obviously leads into um, other programs that we have. And we've always said from the start, we believe we're an education and experience enterprise. And by that, I mean, I don't think you're willing to help someone unless you've had a bit of an experience into what they feel and you have that empathy. Yes. So for us, it's about building, we've got a, a Shift 45 program, which we do with corporates with their young guns. And we, we have four weeks um, with them coming to outreach. You know, it's pretty neat to be able to meet someone who is actually sleeping rough. You know, you mm -hmm. come out of a corporate environment and, and that day you're actually talking with someone and you're going at the end of it, oh my God, my perception of someone who is homeless to what the reality is, is completely different. Yeah. Um, and then so all of a sudden you're flipping. And, you know, we call it Shift 45 because, I mean, the thing is, you put the blinkers on because unfortunately digital now has killed our ability to immediately help because we don't carry coins anymore. Right. So you think about how, how important digital is for us going forward, but it's also in a really basic sense, it's stopped us being able to see someone struggling on the street because they don't have tap and go terminals mm -hmm. and reach into our pocket for a pound or a dollar yep. and going, here you go. All right. So basically on that premise, that's why I went back to the clothing bin. The clothing bin is an opportunity for someone to actually actively do that subscription to us and then see that no know that it goes going to go out into the street and help someone so you've got that immediate impact i mean the other thing you know we do with the, some of those programs i mean we make we make the guys beg for 15 minutes like obviously you write your own song you beg in peak hour yeah. and uh, mate, you've never seen people change in regard to what they think about walking past someone yes. because they, they've all of a sudden felt it right you know how isolated you feel how how virtually you feel like street furniture yeah. Right. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, we want to build in people that empathy to stop. Um, and, you know, then, then that leadership of good, because you've got to remember people by nature, you know, follow what other people do. So if we can actually engage people and educate them to, you know, stop and engage with someone, mm -hmm. the, the flow on effect is that someone else will see that and take that away into their community. And then you're yeah. starting to build this, build this sort of emotional attachment and help, you know, there's obviously, People follow things and do bad things. People follow also things and do good things. Yes. Yeah. Things. I mean, there are a lot of um, a lot of quite persistent myths around homelessness. You know, it's largely or or the result of addiction or abdication of personal responsibility and so on. And that kind of attitude that that would never be me. And many surveys conducted over recent years show that a significant number of households, whether that's in Australia or the UK or New Zealand or the US. 
um, and working professionals as well couldn't survive beyond one or two months without a paycheck. And unfortunately, that's more likely to be even more the case with, with the current pandemic we find ourselves in. So many of us are far more vulnerable than we think. And it would be nice, I think, for you, who's someone who works with the homeless community every day, to perhaps give us one or two stories that, that set the human tone for this conversation and bust a few of these myths. Yeah, absolutely. And so obviously these names aren't correct, but I'll, I'll use two examples, one of a lady and one of a man. The, the fastest growing segment of homelessness in Australia is women over 50. So we'll call her Fran. Now Fran has a divorce. Um, because she's been rearing children, she has no skills in the modern world. Um, she has no super as well. So once uh, the settlements happen and she might get the house, but she can't maintain the house because she doesn't have an income. So she has to sell the house. And then she has to, again, she's in the same problem because whatever money she's got from the house then has to fund her. Now, if that's not enough yeah. um, due to the settlement, she's then renting or the kids are gone. She's, she's stuck on her own with no skills, no ability to get a job, no super. Um, and then obviously the next step's the street. You know, yeah. so that's... So that's, that is one classic example that we run into every day. And I'll give on the other side of that, um, we'll use uh, Dave as an example, who gets a divorce, his wife gets the kids, uh, sorry, wife gets the house because um, Dave's obviously still working. Dave loses his job. Um, then Dave can't pay the rent, so Dave has to live in his car. Then Dave has to sell the car to survive and Dave's on the street. And that can take, the general time on that is 18 months, right? Right. And Dave goes, where am I? How the hell did I get here? Um, they're, they're just classic stories of, you know, the addiction and all that are really rare, you know, yeah. and, and that's what I'll tell you. And most of it happens when you're on the street because you've got nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you're filling in time. So yeah. uh, that's where those type of things lead because they feel they've lost hope. And yeah. then the next thing is someone offers them something and then, okay, that makes them feel good and sort of forget for a little bit and then that you know obviously that leads into bigger problems if you continue to do that for a certain amount of time yeah. um, so that's it so as i said the biggest thing is most of these situations happen becoming homeless most of them happen within the family structure and you know obviously within that family structure there's different um, triggers that have led to it but the thing is they don't have the safety net of relying on other family members to hold them up in, in mm -hmm. case um, you know, to give them housing for a month to get themselves back on their feet and they don't want to be a burden. There's a lot of pride initially in this space. Yes. And so they go, I'll sort this out. And, and it's the biggest drama is because once you've been on the street for a day, it's a completely different skill set yeah. to, yeah. to survive than it is with housing. And that's where people don't understand. They go, oh, you can just get back off the street. But the street's like the Lord of the Flies. Like, you know, you're really on edge the whole time. I mean, we've... You know, and I'll, t I'll touch on this later, but when we do our homeless immersions, you know, I've been on the street about half a dozen nights now, um, part of our immersions, right? And the, se uh, the second night is always the toughest because, you know, you go, I've got to go through this again. Yeah. So you kind of almost, you almost, uh, one of the big things, we'll touch on it obviously later, is resilience is, you know, that's one of the, the key attributes that the broader world could um, take from the homeless is to be able to get back up again every day after you've had to sleep rough and do it day on day is an amazing character trait. Yeah, I mean, you've obviously tapped into, as you say, to one of the later questions, you know, that I've always believed that humans have an incredible adapt and survive mechanism, and I think we totally underrate ourselves in that regard, and that mechanism is uh, demonstrated by the homeless, as, as you say, as they live on the streets week after week and month after year and so on. What do you think the homeless community could teach business leaders about 
resilience and leadership and, and belief and hope in adversity? Well, I think there's, there's two words on the street. One is the first one is hope. And the second one is purpose. Now um, you've got to find somewhere to tap into someone's hope. And then once you have that, then you can sort of go into purpose. And I think the resilience of the street, you know, if business leaders could get people, you know, and whether it was through organizations like ours to hear the real stories of people who are homeless, you know, I think you'd find you'd create more of a culture, a better culture within organizations and also more, you know, one of the things that everyone corporately who goes away from us says, God, my perspective's changed in my own life. And it's something that I'll touch on is that I now don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you get home, Olga and I quite often, um, she's quite emotional at times during service. You know, we hear some stuff we shouldn't hear. We see some stuff we shouldn't see. Yeah. Uh, and we're not trained for it. Um, but we'll always hug each other when we get home. We've got a little dog and you feel very grateful for the fact that you can walk in to the kitchen mm-hmm. and get something to eat, that you can have a shower when you want. And all of a sudden those little things, I think that you take for granted in, in a sense in your life and, you know, social media and all those other consumerism type things push you towards wanting more. Yeah. It just completely strips it back and you want less and you're really happy with what you've got. Yeah. And that gratefulness yeah. uh, and that gratitude really starts to come out of you. Um, and I think that's what probably one of the big things that the homeless could teach the broader community is that we've got so much already, but we don't see it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, simply because we're not looking for it. Mm. Um, and I think that would be the real, I think that's probably the key lesson that so many could take away is that have a, you know, no one really stops. We're so busy. No one really stops and takes that breath and looks at their own life. But I think, but I think when you meet someone who's, you know, who's sleeping rough, who's completely out of your bubble that, you know, that that you surround yourself with, you just sort of take a step back and go, gee, um, I'm really, really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, running, running a, social impact enterprise like pass it on clothing would require you to have quite courageous and compassionate and resilient leadership. Did that, did that come naturally to you or, or how did you develop the skills um, you needed for this, for this role? Mate, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> mate, it's a funny, mate, yeah, it's a funny question, mate. I'm always a risk taker and mate, it's just like, for me, it's, yeah. You don't have much time to dwell. You just, mate, as I said, like even now during the pandemic, you know, we're one of the only organisations still out there. Like it's just, if this is your life, you find a way. Yeah. You know, like it's just, it's, I don't, and so, you know, you've got all those sort of broad terms that you described then. And it's just like, well, I don't know. I just have to get it done. Because if I don't, no one else does. Yeah. Right. And, 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 I, and I think there's a real, and there's a real understanding of myself that if I don't go, I don't want to rely on anyone else to go out and do the work that I've put my hand up for. So we've created this thing, but that means also that we don't take breaks from it. You know, like that's, that's the nature of it. So, um, I don't know. It was just, you know, I just, it's just becomes part of you. And I suppose I said that before, like I'm really passionate about it. And again, the people that I have to really answer to only are the homeless. they're, They're the ones in the end who I have to, um, decide, am I in this, you know, for them and really going to try and help them. And if that's the case, then I go out, doesn't matter when it is, you know, and we just make it work and we've been able to, you know, and I think the respect we get from the homeless in that regard is huge. I mean, the other thing, you know, is I think it's one of our big pillars is inclusion. And, you know, I didn't touch on it before, but, you know, we just don't do clothing. We have a lot of ambassadors. I came working at the NRL, so I was able to leverage footy 
Um, yes. Truth, and you know, sports that great thing where it brings people together. You can say whatever you want about sport, but it does bring different tribes together. Yeah, yeah. We we run these inclusion days where we take the homeless to the footy, right? right. So, um, and again, the thing is, when you're part of that tribe, when you're part of that crowd going to a football game, you forget your circumstances for a while, right? Yeah. So you're bringing people back into what you would call normal um, communities type activities. And that, that's huge if you want to actually empower people to come back. And the other thing it does is, and I said, I talk about perspective. I'll just give you one story of a lady who said, we took her to the AFL last year and she said, I've never been to the Sydney cricket ground. And I, I used to get upset for having to go to Homebush for the rugby league and sit on the sideline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, you don't do it at the time, but when you hear it, some of these things will never leave me. They just it resonates with me. And yes. anytime, I'm, anytime I'm feeling bad, I go, mate, pull your head in, right? Because, yeah. you know, and I think they're the type of things um, that we take away. And, you know, inclusion so big because how do you bring someone back who feels uh, marginalised and isolated unless they do normal things? And then you sort of say to them, hey, you know, you've done that. And they sort of go, oh, wow. I didn't really, you know, they haven't thought about it. It's no big deal. And that's sort yep. of part of the way... So I suppose to re-engage people in societies to include them in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw online the um, the video of the Canon uh, project you ran, which I thought was a a fantastic example of social impact enterprises and businesses working together for the greater good. It'd be be excellent if you could give us a bit of an overview of what that specific project was, and also more generally, what do you need most in terms of support from businesses? Is it financial support or access to their resources? Um, I'll answer the I'll answer the second one first, and then go to the Canon one. So what what we're looking to do is just engage people with us. You know, yeah. like and the basic premise is that every business could hold one of our bins. They're that cheap to subscribe to. That every business could do it, and every business has employees with too many clothes. Yeah. So they're either going to end up in landfill, or never get used, or pushed to the back of the closet. Right, but engage with one of our bins, and, and for a very, very minimal cost, it's it can have an impact, and you can feel good about what you've done. Um, and I think that's one of the things. So that would be first, and then from there, what we do is obviously we build all those other programs around. But fundamentally, every business you know in this city and basically in this country should engage with one of our bins. And I tell you, the point of difference in that is that none, if the minority of any of those clothes you put in a clothing bin actually end up in the, on the back of someone. They're yeah. all commercialized, right? And so we're very transparent about that cost, but we're also say to people, look, you understand that what you put in that clothing bin is not going to actually help someone. Mm-hmm. They're going to commercialize that, sell it, send it overseas, cut it up into rags. Like they're the three sort of businesses that um, those bins support the most. Right. But again, they don't. So again, that's one of the big things. Um, Back to the Canon thing, uh, back to the Canon collaboration. Uh, we were engaged by a mate of mine, um, Nick Fordham, who said he's going to put this together. We met. Um, that was a short form piece of how we engage uh, with the homeless. Like we always say, this is a this is a service where for the homeless, run by the homeless. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a it's a piece where. You know, I, I generally don't touch a piece of clothing when I go to a service, right? I, the homeless have actually assigned themselves jobs, so they feel part of it. Right. That's part of the engagement. Um, so, you know, racks are set up, clothes are put on racks, everyone's really orderly, everyone collects the coat hangers after, and the car's packed. Mm-hmm. And I basically go around and shoot the breeze with people, which is really nice because they want a piece of it. But the Canon thing was basically about showing that the homeless are just that, 
they're homeless, not hopeless, and to break yes. that stigma down. So that's the short form piece. We've got some um, longer form interviews. I'll tell you one of the funniest stories in regard that uh, people say don't work with uh, children or animals, and I can throw the homeless in with that because <laughs> you've got to remember, no one's got a phone. So yeah. we, had, we had eight people in for the photo shoot. We were meant to have six, right? Eight turned up um, on, the, uh, on the designated spot for me to pick them up, which threw my logistics out on yeah. how we were transporting everyone there that day. Um, but again, it was amazing to see people in front of a camera engaged. You know, the makeup artist is crying because she's watching yes. a girl's head be completely pointed at the ground. And then as the makeup continues to be put on and she's looking up and seeing herself for the first time. And, you know, she said to us, it was the most amazing thing to see the real subtleties of that. Um, and so the piece is the short form piece about us letting the, the public know that, you know what, engage with people who you see um, just because they look different. They feel different. You know, it's all, all those sort of cliches yeah, doesn't yeah. mean they are different to you. Yes. You know, and, yeah. I and, and the other thing is you'll get a lot out of it. Um, even more than the person that you've actually just spoken to or tried to help or do whatever, you'll actually get a lot out of it yourself. So we're trying to create that groundswell of basically, you know, as I said, the leadership are good. I'll give you a story of London. And this was a really thing that triggered my brain in this space about how to help the homeless and how to broadly also engage the community to help. Um, is I was in London watching my beloved Tottenham at the end of 2017 and I was on Shoreditch Road and on the high street there and I was sitting with someone homeless for 45 minutes and after 45 minutes, I said to the gentleman, I said, mate, I've got to go, um, you know, and I just, this massive arm just came and grabbed my, uh, sorry, the hand grabbed my arm and I said, oh, mate, come on. And he goes, no, you can't go anywhere. I've got more money in 45 minutes than I got in six <laughs> hours. And my back was to the street. But yeah. what it taught me was people were comfortable coming up because they saw a bit of them in me. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the confidence. So it was the big thing that I really push with everyone is if you stop and engage with someone who's there, even if you can't help them, the engagement's enough. Yeah. But the ripple effect of that is other people are going to see you walking by and question why they've walked by, but they're going to see yeah. you stop there and going to question why they have walked by. And that's, that's one of the big things. If we can actually shift people's uh, perspective instead of putting the blinkers on and just hurrying through, and just engaging and saying, mate, how are you going? Sorry, um, can't help you. I've got no coins. But if you're here tomorrow, I'll make an effort, right? Just that simple piece of engaging with someone. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably the only person that's done that out of a 1,000 plus that have yeah. just done that in the last hour. And that means so much to someone there. And we know that personally. So yeah. that's sort of, again, one of the things that you'd love more people to do because the ripple effect of that is other people will do that in their own communities and you don't know where that will be or whatever, but you know you've imparted that onto them and they go, I'm going to do that next time I pass someone. Yeah. I mean, crises often bring out people and businesses, true colours and so to speak. And this pandemic, I'm sure it's happening in Australia as well in terms of it shining a very sharp and strong light on the leadership qualities of many businesses. Some business leaders standing firm behind their employees and doing everything in their power to look after them through this and, and others casting long and loyal employees aside and looking after themselves first. And I'd be interested in you know, what advice you would give business leaders out there who are currently facing their own crisis of hope, faith and confidence in the future. Mate, I think, I think it's, it's really simple. It's just authenticity, communication and will, you know, like there's those three attributes where if it, it's obviously going to be a struggle now. It's very clear to everyone. 
right? But if you communicate what your position is with people, you are genuine with that and, and, and there's a will to make it work mm. uh, in whatever the situation being, whether it means, you know, people have to take a 25% pay cut to keep everyone on within the organisation. But again, communication is the single biggest factor in most um, good leaders and also leaders who struggle is the lack of that, you know, just being able to genuinely communicate what your position is, what we need to do. And again, I think the other thing is you need to have that will to show that everyone, we're going to do this together and come with me. I mean, it's one of the things I suppose you touched on before about, you know, what do I see in myself? I think one of the things I am is just, I just go and I say, come on, come on, everyone, come with me. We'll get, you know, we'll get through this, just follow. And I think that's what in this sort of, in this sort of time, that's what people have to do. If you're a leader, you have to just go, right, trust in me and now follow me um, and we'll get through this together. And I think that's probably the key attributes in this because ultimately people are going to be anxious. There's going to be a lot of anxiety and good communication will quell that, but then your action has to follow, follow that up. Mm. In, in many societies and cities, and you, you alluded to it earlier on, um, in Sydney, you know, we have a rapid, rapidly growing challenge with the hidden homeless, the less obvious, those in temporary accommodation or sleeping on couches and sofas, sleeping in cars. But many of them that are homeless and still get up and go to work each day and hold down a job. I guess my, my fundamental frustration is, you know, if people have a job but can't afford to go back to a home, surely the fundamentals of our economic model are broken. Do you think this will be a global wake-up call with this pandemic that, you know, will it, add to the, will it add to the problem or will it help bring communities closer together and have a, a greater understanding of what the hidden homeless and the homeless communities go through every day? I think, yeah, it's a great question. I think, honestly, that this is, this is a whole-of-community uh, issue. This pandemic touches everyone. You know, and it's no one's fault too. So I think, you know, whereas other times uh, it's just been money markets or financial institutions or just segments of community and, you know, people have been able to move on because it hasn't touched them. This will touch everyone. And I think that six degrees of separation, people will see people struggling hmm. far closer to them than they ever have before. And I hope coming out of this that that, can, that, that can compassion deficit, if you like, which you said, you know, you sort of alluded to, um, is actually broken. And we start to see more people caring and more people showing that care. And if, you know, if you touched on before about, you know, the people stopping and engaging with someone who's struggling on the street, yeah. people going, it's not that far away from them now. Whereas before, you know, someone with a job and there was someone without a job, but now someone without a job can be right next to them right you know right in their circle so i think i hope it brings everyone together um and i hope what it does do is it makes people understand that um you know it's i think it's very easy part of the homeless stigma is that it's their fault you know you've created this for yourself and i think that this pandemic might be a circuit breaker for that mm -hmm. because there are going to be plenty of people who end up in this space who had it was none of their fault their businesses is just broken yeah. um, by what's happened and it won't recover and you know sadly i think um people will be far more aware of that um and so that stigma you know in a, in a positive sense this it might be broken it might be i would hope there's going to be more compassion and and people are actually in tune to doing more for people you know yeah. as opposed to you know we not me if you understand yeah yeah i I always like to end the new PL podcasts on a bit of an uplifting, positive note. So, just before we 
go through the last and the new PL to the point. I wondered whether you could perhaps tell us an inspiring story of principled leadership you've witnessed from those in the homeless communities you serve. Is there one story you'd like to relay in on a positive note? Yeah, I mean, look, we've, I, I, we deal with, you know, everyone in this space, be it, um, you know, man, I came from football. So if you, if you said to me four years ago that I'd be mentoring transgender kids, you know, I would have said, come on, it's, it's crazy. But, you know, we do. And I think the thing is you take everyone at face value. Mm -hmm. we've, I've got a story of a girl who, um, who was obviously going through transition. She was cutting herself when I first saw her. And I didn't really understand that because I said, oh, you're going through your transition. Um, shouldn't you be happy now? Um, and she sort of credits me with being the light bulb for her to go, oh, everyone else used to treat her like a victim. And I was just mm -hmm. like, man, I just don't understand why you're two and a half years through what you wanted to do. Like just grind it out and then you're going to get to be where you want to be. And so we've supported her the whole way. But to see someone, you know, coming from that, cutting yourself, yeah. uh, probably really struggling with your identity. To, and like, we didn't do a heap. But just being there for someone, being able to talk to someone, um, being able to support them, give them a little bit of guidance. Um, and now she's up onto her feet in sustained housing um, and working, right? And has done that for two years, right? And so those sort of stories are really inspirational. I think yeah. I think one thing that we're trying to create um, within our organisation is I want to publicise these heroes that do get back on their feet from the street because I think mm -hmm. that's the thing that's missing. Um, you know, everyone's got a sporting hero, right? But I think we've got to create some heroes here in, in life and then people see the hardship and then people feel that they're empowered to do it themselves. And I yes. think that's probably the really big thing that um, if you take people out and you know what that can be. And again, I'll, I'll go back to um, what I wanted someone to take away from today, which was stop and engage with someone. I mean, you never know the story, but you also never know what that um, engagement, that simple engagement of acknowledging someone could have on someone's well-being. It could just be the catalyst for them to go forward and um, pick themselves up. Yep. So to tap into that point, as I said, the final question is we launched in February um, the new PNL to the point where we invite guests to give listeners one or two key takeaways that they can hold on to from the discussion you've highlighted engagement and just, you know, the, the simple process of acknowledging someone and talking to them and engaging with them. Is there anything else you'd like listeners to take away as a, um, as a key point from today's discussion? No, I, that, that is the, that's a fundamental one, which I see week in, week out, where people just, you know, clearly walk past someone because they don't know whether they should stop or whether that, what they give is enough, even if it's just, you know, obviously they've got no coins or whatever. And I'm just, empower people to say listen i can tell you 100 percent that it's enough to stop for someone shift your gaze 45 degrees look them in the eye and say hey i'm sorry i can't help you now um but i hope you're going okay today you know, it's so simple and i know it doesn't sound like much but it means the world to someone on the street yeah. um and i think yeah i think the other thing is just be conscious now especially going forward in the next 18 months there's going to be a lot of people now who uh are lucky enough to maintain their jobs, uh, but there are also going to be a lot of people who once were in that space who are now falling down into this space. So I think a lot of compassion for people, you know, there's no just you have a job or you don't have a job anymore. This pandemic is now going to put some people who you would never have thought who potentially may end up homeless in the next 18 months mm -hmm. there. I think it's, you've got to have a real understanding of it's not their fault. Um, and again, feed into that. If you engage with someone, you never know, it might just be enough to give them hope to lift up. Yeah, that's a very, very, uh, very nice point to end the, uh, the podcast on, I think. Chris, 
Thank you for so much for your time. It's been uh, a really inspirational conversation. I really appreciate you making the, the time. Thank you so much for having me. No, my pleasure. Uh, for all those interested in learning more about what Chris and his team at Pass It On Clothing does, you can go to facebook.com backslash Pass It On Clothing. And Chris, I think you've also got an Instagram account, have you? That, um, that people Yeah, can... we're at Pass It On Clothing on Instagram um, and on Facebook. Uh, my LinkedIn is Chris Vag. You know, uh, connect with me there if you've got yeah. any uh, thing you'd like to do. Um, but yeah, as I said, like we're, we're an organisation that wants to build a community with people who want to help people. Yeah. So to all of you who have downloaded and listened this, to this and other episodes of the new PNL, I, I thank you once again for taking the time. And as I said in the introduction, if you like what you've heard, take a moment to review us. It all helps ratings and rankings. And if you'd like to subscribe, please go to principlesandleadership.com. Finally, before we go, a quick word from the sponsors of this podcast. It was sponsored this week by UK multimedia design and animation studio Kamuka. You can check them out at kamuka.com, C-A-M-O-U-K-A.com. And if you'd like us to consider a specific topic related to the new PL or interview you, let us know too. We'd be very happy to chat. So I'm Paul from the new PL, Principles and Leadership in Business. I thank you once again for listening and stay safe and stay well. <laughs>